15, 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we pray that you'll show us what it means to bear fruit because you have chosen us. And show show us, Father, that we might truly love one another as a manifestation of that fruit. Give us, Lord, not only a clear understanding of this, but the will and the ability, the power to carry out your will. And we ask in the name of our Lord. Amen. Our Lord in this section in John 13 to 16 has focused on many truths before his final hours, before he is crucified. Among them is the commandment which he simplifies, the commandment to love one another, the singular commandment. When one loves each other, as he has said in verses 12 and 17 of this passage, then one is fulfilling the greatest commandment to love God. That's how simple he has made it. Love one another, thereby you prove that you love God. And then we love one another, love God. How? By keeping the Ten Commandments and then the implications of those Ten Commandments in our life. This is what is expected from beginning to end in the Christian life. After our conversion, this is what God expects of us. He has explained that this is central and this is what is for every Christian. And this love, he has said in verse 13, is even to the extent of laying down our life for one another, which is the ultimate way in which we would show love toward each other. Lay down our life. He's meaning this literally speaking. Meantime, there are small ways in which we can show our love for, for each other and gradually build up that kind of love and endearment to each other. And ultimately, one day, if it does mean we lay down our life for each other, that's what we ought to be willing to do. Then in 14 and 15, he commends us and encourages us by calling us friends. 13, 14, and 15, he calls us friends. This kind of close companionship and relationship we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The relationship of a friend, of a close friend, not a fickle friend, but a faithful friend, not one who is weak and one who is a betrayer, but one who is faithful until the end. Abraham was called the friend of God, and we are also called to be friends of God, such as in our passage here. Be the friends of God. Now, in 16, he mentions the fact that we did not choose him. We did not choose him. He chose us, which guarantees, in verse 16, that we bear fruit and the fruit remains. It also guarantees that whatever we ask of the Father, it will be granted to us. Further, boiling it all down to one simple commandment is verse 17. The bearing of fruit will show to be true fruit in that we love each other. We love each other the way the Bible expects us to love each other. Bearing fruit and loving one another, they are synonymous to God's work in us because he chose us, according to verse 16. Since God chose us by his love and grace, his love and grace is in us, bearing fruit in our life, and bearing fruit, that manifestation of fruit, will be seen in the way we love each other. Loving each other in the biblical way, in the scriptural way, when we love each other, that shows that we are truly disciples of Christ. 
which has been his goal. The goal of Christ is for all to know that he says in 1335, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Having summarized it, let's now turn our attention more specifically to verse 16. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He categorically tells us that we did not choose him. Though a choice was made, the choice did not originate in us. Though a choice was made, we did not make the first choice. Christ did. This is his way of telling us that he first chose us, then we chose him. This is contrary to free will theology. Free will theology says it in the very opposite way. God sees the future and he sees who will choose him, then God chooses them. That's the opposite here in verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We might ask in this reference, is he speaking only of the vocation and the fruit of the 12 apostles? Is he talking only about their calling as apostles? Or is he talking about their calling unto salvation and after salvation, how it will be manifested in their life? Is he talking about both? There are interpreters who say, those who believe in free will, they say in verse 16, he's only and merely talking about their occupation, their vocation, their ministerial calling. He's not talking about their salvation. But we will see that he actually is talking not only about their salvation, but how the fruit of that salvation is manifested in their personal life, even in reference to their calling to ministry. And that would also apply to us, that we are not only chosen to be saved, but chosen to bear fruit, and chosen to bear fruit in whatever particular ministries God has given to us or gifted to us, because some of us will excel in one way of ministry as opposed to other ways. Some will excel in service, others in leadership, some in teaching, others in helps. It depends on what that is. So the basic concept of verse 16 is not only applicable to the apostles to save them, but also to equip them to bear fruit in their Christian life generally, and even specifically in the gift that God gave them, their particular kind of ministry. And that will also apply to all of us. This verse is not only applicable to the apostles. And if it's not only applicable to the apostles, it's applicable to you and me, then it applies to our salvation, our general bearing of fruit, and also specifically our bearing of fruit in the gift that God has given us, the spiritual gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that he has given to each of us in a particular sense, because all of us are not gifted in the same way, according to 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. That's how verse 16 may be summarized. So firstly, on choosing, he chose us, we did not choose him. Let's look at some examples of this in the book of John first and then elsewhere. John 6, John 6, 66 to 71. John 6, 66 to 71. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Who chose whom here? It says, 
in verse 70, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. In what sense did he choose the twelve? He chose the twelve unto salvation, and he also chose the twelve unto their vocation. They became apostles. But there's one exception to the salvational part, which is in verses 70 to 71. The one exception is Judas Iscariot. In context, he explains what he means by choosing them. That Judas was also chosen for his vocation, his ministry, but he wasn't chosen for salvation. This is confirmed in 1318. 13, 13, chapter 13, shall we actually begin at uh, 10, 13, 10, 10 and 11. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Now, verse 18, 13, 18. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Judas was among the twelve, but he was not chosen unto salvation among the twelve. They have been chosen, but not Judas unto salvation. John 17, John 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of them perished except the son of perdition. That's Judas Iscariot. He perished, the rest did not perish. Also back in chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 19. Here we make the connection more clearly to the salvational part of it. John 15, 19, salvation for all of us. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I chose you out of the world. Which statement is not only true of the apostles, the 11 apostles, but it's true of all of us. He chose us out of the world, so we don't belong to the world anymore because he saved us. His choice saved us. Ephesians now, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, 3 to 6, Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. This choice was before the foundation of the world, according to verse 4. He predestined us. It says predestined which was also before the foundation of the world. That's why the prefix pre. And it happened according to the kind intention of his will, not in cooperation with our will, but his will. And in verse 6, he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. God freely, not as a matter of wage, but graciously and freely bestowed, granted this to us in Christ, the beloved, in Christ. Not because we deserved it, but because of his grace. 
and also Ephesians 2, 2, 8 to 10. 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only did he save us by grace, but he prepared good works for us. God prepared good works for us beforehand, before the foundation of the world. Those good works will be the good fruit in our life, and specifically, whatever gift we have, vocation we have, of the Holy Spirit, to carry it out in that specific way also. General fruit or general good works and specific good works in each believer, in each one saved by the grace of God. Christ chose us. Let's see more examples of this, that Christ or God, they choose us, we do not choose them. Matthew 22, Matthew 22, 14, Matthew 22, 14. This is the parable of the marriage feast. And in this parable, the host calls and invites many people. He calls by invitation, many people. Many people are invited to come to the marriage feast. Many are invited, but not every invitee is an attendee. Look at 22.14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, are called by invitation, not by effectual calling, but by general call. Many people receive this word of invitation to come. Many are called. Well, who called? The host did, right? The host is the caller. He called. But few are chosen. Few are chosen, are called, are chosen. Those who are called, they don't call themselves. They don't invite themselves to the feast. And those who are chosen do not choose themselves to go to the feast. An external person is doing the choosing. Many are called, few are chosen. So then, who is choosing? God is choosing. God is the chooser, not us. Mark 13, Mark 13, 20. Mark 13, 20. 13, 20. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. For the sake of the elect, well, why are they called the elect or the chosen? Why are they called that? Are they called the elect because they elected God? No. It's clarified in verse 20, whom he chose. We, the church, we are called the elect because God chose us, not because we chose him. 27, 13, 27 of Mark. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the, the earth to the farthest end of heaven. We are called his elect. His elect because God chose us. Luke 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Luke 10, 21 to 24. Luke 10, 21 to 24. Around the time that Christ preached and performed miracles in the cities of Israel, and they refused to believe, this is said. Verse 21, 
At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And turning to the turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things which you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Our Lord is teaching here that ultimately the people who will believe are those whom the Son the Son of God, wills to reveal the Father. Verse 22 says, It depends on the will of God, or the will of the Son of God, to reveal God the Father. It does not depend on the will of man. Romans 11. Romans 11 and verse 7. Romans 11, 7. What then? That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Those who were chosen obtained it, the rest were hardened. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. 1, 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Who is it that's choosing in this passage? In verse 26, it's a calling, effectual calling. Verse 27, God has chosen. Twice he says, verse 28, God has chosen. Verse 30, by his doing, by the doing of God, not our doing, we are in Christ Jesus. It happens by the choice of God. Colossians 3.12. Colossians 3.12, he calls us chosen of God. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Chosen of God is similar to Mark 13:20, the elect whom he chose. This also chosen of God is in Titus 1 verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 2:13. 2 Thessalonians 2:13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit, and faith in the truth. Chosen from the beginning. From the beginning, in this context, means before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2.10 2 Timothy 2.10 For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. The Apostle explains why he endures all things, why he suffers, why he is afflicted, why he undergoes hardship throughout his life. 
He does it for the sake of those who are chosen. Are chosen by whom? Chosen by God. Though he spreads the gospel widely, whoever will hear it, he knows that his labor is ultimately not for every single person who hears it, but those who are chosen by God. Those who are chosen by God will obtain that salvation by believing in the word he preaches and eternal glory. Salvation and eternal glory to those chosen by God. Turn back a little bit to 1 Timothy 5. Not only are people chosen, some people chosen, but angels are chosen. Some of the angels, not all, but some. 1 Timothy 5, 21. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Angels, some are fallen. They are called demons, evil spirits, unclean spirits. But the chosen angels, they are the glorious angels. They are the ones sent to help us. They are sent into the world to do the will of God for our benefit. But they're chosen. They are chosen. That's why they did not fall. They did not fall along with Satan in the great fall of the angels because they were chosen. God prevented that from happening, which is contrary also to the doctrine of free will. Then 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 3. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says that the church is chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge means to choose lovingly in advance. It does not mean it does not mean to simply know the future. It means to lovingly based on a choice of love and in advance to choose us. This is the doctrine of 1 Peter 1, 1 to 3. And he is the one that therefore causes us to be born again. Our faith does not cause us to be born again. He causes us to be born again to have faith in Christ. 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 7 to 10. 1 Peter 2, 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And lastly, on this term chosen, Revelation seventeen fourteen, seventeen fourteen. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. The called, effectually called, chosen, chosen by God, and faithful. Because those whom God chooses remain faithful. They are characterized by enduring continual 
faith. In John 15, 16, he not only said we are chosen, but we are appointed. Chosen and appointed. Appointed is more or less a synonym of what he just said to choose. He not only chose us, but he appointed us. To appoint means to designate or to assign. To designate or to assign. Appoint, designate, assign. Different words to describe the same thing. In the book of Acts, we will see how this is used in the scripture. The book of Acts 13, 48. The book of Acts 13, 48. Both in reference to salvation and the bearing of fruit and even bearing a fruit in ministry. The book of Acts 13.48. This one is on salvation, 13.48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As many as had been appointed. There too, this verb is passively written to say to imply that God appointed them to eternal life. Since God appointed them to eternal life, therefore they believed. That is the sequence. One thing caused the other to occur. The appointment caused the belief. The appointment resulted in eternal life. It's not the belief that causes the appointment, but the appointment causes the belief which results in eternal life. Acts chapter 22. Acts 22, verse 10. Acts 22, 10. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you, to do. Verse 14, and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, and to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. What happened to the apostle? He's describing his experience on the road to Damascus. He was on the way to persecute the church in Damascus. He was on his way to doing it. But what happened to him on that road? He was halted. He was jolted. He was stopped in his tracks and saved. And not only was he saved, but he was also commissioned to do the will of Christ. It was both. Save salvation and his fruit in ministry. 26 16. The book of Acts 26, verse 16. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. He appeared and appointed him so that he might be a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to those, to that which he will appear to him. And chapter 9, verse 15, Acts nine fifteen. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. He is a chosen instrument of mine, both chosen and appointed for salvation and sanctification, the bearing of fruit, including fruit in ministry. Also in John 15, 16, the Lord used a phrase, go and bear fruit, that you should go and bear fruit. This not only applied to the apostles, but applies to us. 
that they should go and bear fruit. There is, in a sense, not staying put, not staying in home, just sitting down. But there is, in a sense, going outside and finding people who will hear the word. John 4, 38. John 4, 38. A few on going, and then we'll speak of the bearing of fruit. John 4, 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and have entered into their labor. You have labored, uh, you have entered into their labor. I sent you to reap. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. John 17, 18. 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends his apostles. John 20, 21. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. But whatever was said about the apostles is not only true of the apostles, but also true of you and me. That we are also sent into the world to preach and proclaim the gospel. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This commission was not only meant to be fulfilled in the apostles, but also in the disciples of the apostles. And we are the distant disciples of the apostles. Even as we read earlier in 1 Peter 2.10, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9 and 10. We are to proclaim what God has done for us by means of the word of Christ. What God did to save us by his word is what we should proclaim to others. So, they were sent and we are sent. It also says that they might bear fruit and that that fruit might remain. In what sense does the fruit remain? It remains in two ways. It remains in that their labor continues, their fruit continues until the end of the world. But also fruit in our personal life. First, the ministerial fruit. By ministerial fruit, we're speaking of passages such as Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it, the church that Christ builds. The church that was established in the time of the apostles, that spread in the time of the apostles, Christ assures us that it will not be destroyed from the earth. It will not be obliterated from the earth. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21.: 3:20. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The true church is to exist, according to this verse, by God's almighty power. This glory is going to exist in the church 
and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. All generations forever. Hebrews 12:28. Hebrews 12:28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken, according to Hebrews 12, 28. This doctrine is significant because there are cultists who say that the gospel, the church, the truth, had disappeared after the apostles. After the apostles, or in the generation after the apostles, the church... The truth disappeared from the world until the cultic leader rose up. And they say God raised them up whenever that period would be, sometime after the apostles. In our own situation, we find that this is the case, usually in the 18 and 1900s. And even these days, there are people who rise up and say they are the only ones who know, who are the only ones who have the truth, because the church has not existed in previous centuries. The most popular and common ones who assert that would be the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. But many, many others do the same thing, saying that it has been completely lost. However, John 15, 16, Matthew 16, 18, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, Hebrews 12, 28, these are all promises that the fruit of the labor of the apostles should remain, will remain, so that in every generation there is a remnant of true believers, even if the rest of the professing believers do not show forth fruit. Now, specifically, the fruit that should remain in the Christian life. We spoke of the ministerial life, but now the personal and Christian life, the bearing of fruit in the personal and Christian life. This is incumbent upon all true Christians. John 8.31, John 8.31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you abide, if you remain, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. John 15, 1 to 8. John 15, 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. This bearing of fruit is Fruit that continues, it remains. 11.23 Then, when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart. A resolute heart with one Solid, stable heart. Not a double-minded man, not not a double-hearted man, not a double-tongued man, a fork-tongued man, but with a resolute heart to remain 
true to the Lord. Remain. 13.43. The book of Acts 13.43. We'll read 42 and 43. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The apostles were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Continue, persevere, persist. Don't renege, don't backtrack, don't fall away, don't apostatize, don't let anything like that happen. Fruit, first, or, or Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23. What is fruit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is described in 522. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh has been crucified in Christ, and instead of the flesh, we produce love, true love, the way the Bible describes it. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These should be evident and manifested in our life. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. The apostle Peter has described our need to grow in godliness, grow in virtues, virtues of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and brotherly love. Christian love. These should be evident in us and growing in us, according to verses 5 to 9. Then verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. We should be increasing and we should also be more diligent, more diligent to practice these things to ensure and to assure ourselves of His calling and choosing us. And then our entrance into the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied. That's when Christ will say to the slave who had five coins of talent, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master and rule over ten cities because of your faithfulness. That will be the abundant and pleasant disposition that Christ will have toward us. We persevere. There are some who won't persevere. Second Peter 2.20. 2 Peter 2.20 to 22. 2.20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. There are those, however, who don't remain in the Lord or remain true to the Lord. They do not continue in the grace of God. There are those who have some knowledge and who are in that knowledge and in that goodness for a temporary time and then walk away from it. They fall away from it. 
They are the ones like the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, 4 to 15. In the parable of the sower, only one soil produced good fruit. Other soils produced temporary fruit, but not the good, enduring, continual fruit in the grace of God. And those that don't remain are not true believers. They never were true believers. And they eventually manifest that in their life. So, how are we assured? We are assured that if the Lord Jesus has chosen us, our fruit will remain. It will remain. If our salvation were dependent on us, the fruit would not remain. We know how depraved our flesh is. If it depended on our will to remain faithful to God, we would not produce fruit and we would not remain. It is very easy for the flesh to be enticed, to be entrapped. It's very easy for the flesh to be controlled by the world and the devil. It's very easy for that to happen. We won't remain. But the confidence we have, the assurance we have is if and since Christ chooses us, he will produce fruit in us, that fruit that remains. Glory to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He also assures us with this wonderful statement in John 15, 16. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. 14.13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 15.17, John 15.17, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. 16.23, and in that day you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Whatever that we ask, the Father will give in the name of Christ. 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 19 to 24. 1 John 3.19 We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the confidence we have because we are Attached to Christ, we are conforming our life to the life of Christ, keeping his commandments. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever or anything we ask, we receive from him. Now we have to ask, when he says whatever, does he mean whatever in an absolute sense or does he mean whatever in a qualified sense? Does he mean it in an absolute sense? Does it mean that if I, let's say I'm five feet tall and I become a Christian and I ask the Lord to be seven feet tall, will God make me seven feet tall? If I have lost all my hair and I ask the Lord for hair and to have long hair as a man, will God do that to me? What if I have $100 in the bank account, but I want $100 million in my bank account tomorrow? And I ask, 
Will that happen? What if I have a disease? What if the world has a disease in the last two years? And I say, disease, be obliterated. Nobody go to the hospital. And I go into the hospitals and say, in the name of Christ, all of you are healed. Whether you have the current disease or any other disease, you're all healed. Do those things happen? Is that what Jesus meant by whatever? Is that what he meant? No. He meant whatever godly things, whatever spiritual things, whatever things that are meant to help us and aid us to grow and produce fruit in our Christian life. Because sometimes God may answer a prayer, but actually it's a curse. So we cannot say in terms of physical things, He does provide for us. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes he will answer a prayer, but it's actually a curse when he answers our prayer. Psalm 106, verse 13. 106, verses 13 to 15. This describes the people in the wilderness. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. Okay, you want, in in your grumbling and disputing, you want this meat and you want this water and you want this and that. I'll give you that, but I'm also going to curse you with a wasting disease. So it's not necessarily good, even if God does answer our prayers for things that are contrary to his will for us, to produce godliness in us. We know this is the case because our Lord Jesus has actually encouraged us in this manner to pray for spiritual things. Luke 11, Luke 11 9 to 13. Luke 11, 9. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit to produce godliness in us. This is the kind of thing we should be asking. And whatever we ask of the Father for this purpose he will grant to us. James, James says similar words. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, 1 to 8. James 1, 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When we encounter various trials and we need wisdom to overcome them, he says that God will give to all of us generously and without reproach. God is not going to condemn us or criticize us for asking for his wisdom to deal with the problems of life. It will be given, he says, Verse, four, uh, verse 5, it will be given when it is asked in faith, verses 6 to 8. 
Ask in faith, and God will grant wisdom to endure the afflictions of life. That's the confidence we have to approach the throne of grace. This is the confidence we have to come to Christ. In the name of Christ, to the Father. This I command you, that you love one another. If we would focus on true love, biblical love, the way the Bible does, this fruit will come to the surface. This fruit will come to the surface and will assure us, give us confidence, enable us to walk in the paths of Christ and thereby receive the assurances of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit in us. That's what will come about in our life. Shall we then? It's a very easy verse to memorize. John 15, 17. This I command you, that you love one another. Let's keep the commandment of Christ, as disciples of Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.